Chapter forty nine of Dead Men's Shoes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason. Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter forty nine. But here is one who loves you as of old. Mr. Secretan is not sorry to get away from that quiet, orderly room in the prison, where never comes any sound of outward things more human than the creaking of the warder's boots in the passage, or the ticking of that inexorable clock in the hall, dismal clock that checks off hours that are heavier than lead, minutes whose every moment is a sigh. Alexis would willingly stay all day with his wife to lighten the burden of her solitude, to strengthen the fainting heart with words of cheerfulness and comfort if he had not work to do elsewhere. He has a task to perform, and a difficult one, and he hardly knows how to set about it. He has been careful to ask no questions of Captain Heathcote, feeling that the governor's position must compel him to caution and reticence. He stands, as it were, Upon the opposite side, in that game of life and death, which has to be played out, the rouge et noir of the criminal court. Not to him can Alexis look for information or assistance. Mr. Secretan leaves the prison, sorely perplexed as to what his first step should be. At present he knows nothing, save that Stephen Trenchard is supposed to have died from prussic acid and that Sybil has confessed to having had a bottle of prussic acid in her possession at Lancaster Lodge. We must meet law with law, I suppose, thinks Alexis. As my wife is in the grip of the law, I must get a lawyer to fight her battle. He thinks of the names he has seen in connection with the criminal courts, names that have a sound of power, and there is one that comes uppermost in his mind, supereminent and invincible, a shield and a buckler in the fight. This is the legal firm of Levison and Levison, Parchment Street, Viaduct Hill. He goes straight to the telegraph office and telegraphs to Messrs. Levison and Levison, solicitors, requesting that one of their firm may start for Redcastle that afternoon, a most urgent case, money no object. He feels fortified against danger in some measure when he has sent this message and goes from the station to Dr. Fontthorpe's. The shabby old house looks a little shabbier and more woebegone than usual today in the vivid sunshine of midsummer. Hester, whose spirits generally maintain an equitable acidity, has drooped and given way to absolute despair since the revelation of Stephen Trenchard's insolvency. It seems to her as if the shattered fortunes of the house in Fawnthorpe had received the final blow that brings them to the dust. Jerusalem besieged by Titus could hardly have fallen lower. The idea of Stephen Trenchard's fortune to be divided in some manner among his nieces had been the faithful servant's only daydream. She had not set her hopes very high. She had languished for no translation to a loftier sphere, but she had believed that a little money would find its way through his nieces to the pockets of Robert Fonthorpe. She had fancied that the dilapidated old house would be painted and whitewashed, some of the worm-eaten flooring replaced with sound wood, new deal, which would repay the labor of her scrubbing brush. 
she had pictured her master in a new coat she had told herself that a few pounds spent upon the pony carriage would rehabilitate that vehicle and that a new set of harness would make the pony a gentleman long arrears of wages due to herself in times past a sum that would have doubled itself by this time at compound interest might possibly be paid in that flood tide of fortune but this last item was one of secondary consideration in the faithful hester's mind she wanted to see the family raise its head from the dust she wanted to feel that the house of faunthorpe had something of the phoenix in its nature the habits of this fabulous bird have been made familiar to hester not in the pages of herodotus but by the fire office which has taken it for its device and emblem the disappointment has been very bitter to the doctor's two younger nieces and marion lies on the sofa and bewails her fate and declares rebelliously that she will never more try to deserve well of providence what's the use of being good she demands with an injured air one couldn't be used worse if one was a forger or a murderer i didn't expect much sibyl's artfulness nipped my expectations in the bud but i did build upon getting something even if it was only a paltry five thousand pounds jenny is more philosophical and more easily reconciled to fate if he hadn't any money to leave he couldn't leave it to us she argues but he must have been a sly old fox to make believe to be a millionaire and take in all redcastle a wicked old impostor exclaims marion wrathfully poor sibyl's disappointment will be worse than ours says jane yes that's a comfort she'll find how she has wasted all her scheming and artfulness on a jesuitical old pauper she'll feel small enough i should think perhaps she knew the truth all along and was laughing in her sleeve at our expectations suggests jenny she's deep enough for anything however i forgive her all her baseness now and pity her with all my heart says marion with a magnanimous air she'll find life a very different thing now she has seen the last of lancaster lodge oh, i hope she won't get into trouble about that prussic acid says jenny thoughtfully and marion also grows grave that question about the prussic acid is serious one might wish one's sister's unholy pride and temporal blessings to be chastised by providence for her own spiritual chastening and benefit but one would shrink appalled from the idea of that erring sister lying under a suspicion of having poisoned her uncle in the first place such an imputation would be too severe a punishment for the offender and in the second it would cast discredit upon all her family it's my opinion that uncle trenchard has spent all his money and knew he must be found out if he let things go on any longer and got out of the difficulty by poisoning himself says jenny sagely the only thing that's hard to account for is how he could have got hold of prussic acid that sibyl took out of the surgery it mightn't have been that very prussic acid that killed him stupid exclaims marion contemptuously true says jenny if you had only held that blabbing tongue of yours nobody need have known that sibyl had ever taken anything out of the surgery says marion if we are all brought to disgrace it will be your doing whereat jenny bursts into tears and weeps dismally for the next half hour she has shed many a tear about that fatal communicativeness of hers within the last few days 
they are sitting in the front parlour when this conversation takes place on the morning of mr secretan's arrival in redcastle and when jenny has whipped till her eyeballs ache she wanders listlessly to the window and stares out at the small square garden where the bountiful cabbage roses and a few ancient perennials bloom as well as the dust will allow them there is not much in the way of traffic at this end of town a farmer's cart jolts by once in half an hour or a laboring man passes on a plough horse or a drove of oxen straggles by hunted by an abusive driver not often do the elite of redcastle penetrate to this end of the town there's not much distraction of mind therefore to be obtained from looking out of the window and jenny contemplates external things from listlessness rather than interest but on a sudden to the surprise of her sister who has buried herself in a novel jenny ejaculates abruptly good gracious it's him whatever our family troubles are you might remember that the verb to be takes the same case after as before it jane remonstrates marion with dignity and pray whom do you mean by him the young man cries jane incautious in her surprise my brother-in-law what does the ridiculous child mean exclaims marion pulling herself up from the sofa with a wrench and looking out at the gate yes there is a very good-looking and gentlemanlike young man in the act of entering at that modest green gate why he's a perfect stranger said marion is he remarks jenny who has recovered her self-possession by this time ah to be sure now i look at him i see he is a stranger i took him for someone else it's my belief you are a demented child cries marion crossly i suppose he's a patient for uncle marion is confirmed in this belief when mr secretan inquires for dr fontthorpe and on being told that he is out asks permission to wait his return he looks respectable nay even superior to some of the redcastle gentry so hester shows him into the surgery and asks him to take a seat the doctor always runs home for his bit of dinner when he can she says and i don't think he was going very far to-day so he'll be in by half an hour or so i dare say left in the surgery alexis thinks of that summer day nearly a year ago when he came here in quest of his truant wife and allowed himself to be put on a false scent by a schoolgirl's deceitfulness he is very angry with jane fontthorpe to-day when he thinks that all the evil that has befallen sibyl might have been prevented had that child told the truth but she'd been taught her lesson by sibyl no doubt he reflects i do wrong to blame her he has more than an hour to wait for dr fontthorpe a weary while for he is burning with impatience to know all that can be known about stephen trenchard's death it is past two o'clock when the doctor comes into the surgery looking tired and anxious and alexis feels as if much precious time has been lost he hastens to introduce himself to robert fontthorpe and to give that bewildered practitioner the history of sibyl's marriage sir you petrify me exclaims the meek little doctor wiping the perspiration from his bald forehead with an ancient silk handkerchief do you mean to tell me that my niece whom i have ever considered the incarnation of candour could be capable of so deceiving me it was not your resentment she favoured dr fonthorpe but her uncle trenchard's antipathy to my name you are no doubt acquainted with the family history yes yes my poor sister-in-law told me the story that family quarrel of the past was sibyl's motive for concealing her marriage with me 
and now that you know who i am i have to speak of something much more serious your niece has been arrested on suspicion of being concerned in her uncle's murder and is now in redcastle jail dr fontthorpe sinks into a chair speechless with horror for the last three days and nights he has lived in the apprehension of something like this but the reality seems more dreadful than his fears don't tell me so he cries it is unhappily the truth i was with my wife at the time of her arrest i'm here to protect and defend her and now tell me all you know about stephen trenchard's death dr fonthorpe tells all that is to be told disjointedly at first but on being closely questioned by alexis plainly enough at the last he tells alexis the unlucky facts connected with that blue bottle of prussic acid he tells alexis the various opinions conjectures and rumours which obtain in redcastle why should he not have poisoned himself asks alexis ah we might have supposed that but then comes the question of the bottle or vessel from which he took the poison with so powerful a dose death would have been instantaneous he would not have had time to throw the bottle from him he must have died clutching it and the empty bottle was found in sybil's work-basket where it might have been easily placed by any one who wished to fix the guilt upon her yes of course if we could only prove that we must prove that dr fonthorpe we must find the poisoner or show that stephen trenchard took poison out of his own free will he may have felt that his game was played out and may have adopted suicide as a happy escape out of his difficulties that might be alexis had made notes of dr fonthorpe's answers to his questions he's made a list of the people in the house at the time of stephen trenchard's death how about this joel pilgrim why should he not be suspected rather than sybil well, there is that unfortunate circumstance of sybil's flight and the prussic acid taken from this surgery both facts tell against her yet if she had been guilty she would have been too wise to excite suspicion by that secret departure and if she had wanted to commit murder she would hardly have chosen a poison which she must have known as of all the poisons the most easily detected dr fonthorpe's only answer is a hopeless sigh he is borne down nay crushed by calamity whatever elasticity of spirit nature may have endowed him with at the outset of life has been worn out of him by a long career of self-abnegation and endurance he is so accustomed to trouble sorrow is such a common flavour in his cup that he cannot easily look beyond the darkness of the hour to-day he sees himself enclosed in an impenetrable cloud of misery freely gladly would he give his life such feeble remnant of life as he holds to save his niece when he cannot devise any mode of being helpful to her this pilgrim must be the man says alexis after reading over his notes meditatively i cannot see any motive can you not he may have believed in trenchard's wealth and expected to inherit some of it he may have wanted money badly and determined on hastening his inheritance there's one little circumstance that i ought perhaps to have told you begins the doctor falteringly well for god's sake tell me everything it was after the post-mortem dr mitsand who has taken up this matter in a very energetic spirit 
asked a few questions of the butler at Lancaster Lodge. Well, the questions themselves were of no particular importance, touching the position of a table beside the bed, the bottles and glasses and so on, but there was something in the man's manner which struck Dr. Mitsand and myself as remarkable. He had been drinking, I believe, and may have been muddled by drink, but he had, to my mind, and Dr. Mitson's, the manner of a person laboring under some kind of apprehension. He had a shifty look and answered the simplest questions reluctantly, as if afraid to commit himself. At the coroner's inquest, he appeared in the same muddled state, worse indeed, and drew upon himself a severe reprimand from the coroner. Is the man still at Lancaster Lodge? Yes, I saw him going at the lodge gate today as I came past, on my way home. Then I'll see him without delay and see what is to be made of him, said Alexis. In a case of such importance, would it not be better to employ a detective, suggests the doctor humbly? Dr. Fonthorpe, in a case that affects my wife's honor and her life, there is no detective living whose wits would be keener than mine, replies Alexis. I will trust no one with this work while I have the power to do it myself. And thus they part. End of chapter 49